Hey everybody, my name's Christian. I'm the lead pastor here. If you haven't been here before, uh, nice to meet you. So glad that you're here. Okay, so um, for those of you who don't know, I, uh, before being a lead pastor, I was a youth pastor for 20 years. And so I think like a youth pastor. And so we are going to play a game. We do games in church because one of my greatest fears is that someone would come to church and be bored. Because if we can make God the creator of everything that we see, the creator of mountains and streams and butterflies, if we can make that guy boring, we're working really, really hard, okay? So we're going to have fun in church. So I have asked, um, we're, we're in our series, Death to Selfie. This is our last week. And I've asked a couple people to join us for the games. Okay, so... That's a classic game of follow the leader, yes? So this is, I'm just going to let you know in a couple months when you're like, what did Christian talk about that day? You won't remember any of my good points or any of my Bible verses, but you will remember that game. I guarantee it. Okay, so we've been talking about death to selfie. We've been talking about first week was denying ourselves. The second week was loving others. And the third week was doing humble things to defeat pride. So we're going to take this to the, what I think is the logical conclusion. I think that this talk today is is a, a difficult talk, and I'll just be honest with you, I've been wrestling with it and struggling with it a little bit, but it is also kind of the most basic talk that I could give about Christianity. So it's weird how it's both difficult and pretty fundamental. The question is, who are you following? So we just worked on this. We just worked on a visualization of what it looks like, and obviously the person on stage represents God, and the person on the ground represents us. And we're a whole lot more like Kelly than we are like Brandon, right? God says turn right, and we're like, yeah, but left makes more sense, right? God says stop, and we're like, I think I should go faster, and that ends us up running into things and makes us look like a fool, right? Like Kelly looked like a fool, total and absolute fool, okay? So this is what, this is the very basic concept, but very profound application that I want to talk about today, is who are you following? Because here's what I know, we're all following someone or something. We are all following someone or something. And it's often not God. How do you orient your life? Like think about a compass. I want to think about that as kind of our metaphor for today. A compass always points towards north, right? And so that's what you use a compass for. You want to go north, you point towards the compass and you go north. That's what I want to ask you and ask myself on a daily basis did I describe the compass right? I see some people looking at me weird. Gary, was that okay? No? All right, just roll with it, okay? We'll just, we'll just, we'll just agree to disagree. <laughs> what is your compass pointing you towards? Who is your compass pointed towards? Is it pointed towards yourself and what you want? Is it pointed towards how you feel in the moment? Is it pointed towards what culture tells you to believe and think? Is it pointed towards how other people think about you? Or is it pointed towards God? That's the question for today. All right. I made a really, really, another drawing. Because I've, I've gotten a lot of feedback that you're very impressed by my artistic ability. So I'm just going to keep rolling it out. Okay. So this is, this is you. <laughs> this is the center of who you are. All right. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mix my metaphors up. Think about a compass. Think about an anchor. Think about the center. You, you, you use whatever you want to use. But how do you define your life? How do you orient your life? In all these different areas, how do you decide morality for your life? What is right and wrong? How do you decide? Think about that. Do you, do you decide that based on what feels right? 
Do we decide that based on what the culture tells us is right? What about our purpose? Where do you get your purpose from? What's your destiny and your calling? How do you decide what you're supposed to do on this earth? You know, we have a limited amount of time. Those of you who are older than me, you really get that. Those of you who are younger than me, it's really hard to understand that. I, you know, once you cross over the 40 barrier, you start to realize that, yes, life is not, you know, I'm not going to be here forever. I have a limited amount of time to do something with what God's given me. How do I figure out my purpose? Where do I get my purpose from? How do I make decisions about money? about my sex life. Like, how do you make these decisions? Is it just what culture says? Like, let's talk about sex for a second. Do you agree? We all on board? How do you, what, what, what is the right use of sex? I mean, if you look at the culture, like, you know, I, I like certain TV shows that I, I'm neither promoting or whatever, but like, you know, you look at Friends, you look at New Girl, you can look at any kind of these shows, and I think they're funny and I enjoy them, but there definitely is a message about sex there that our culture believes. Sex is with whomever you want, whenever you want, and it's really all about you. It's not about commitment, it's not about sacrifice, it's not about the other person. And, you know, relationships are about what makes you feel good. And when you stop feeling good in a relationship, get out. It doesn't matter what commitments you've made. How do you make decisions about who you have sex with, about who you spend your life with? How do you make decisions about how you spend your money? You know, so I I recently did my taxes. I like to do my taxes on my own because... um, for some reason, I actually kind of find it fun. But I did, so I did my, my federal, and then you do Delaware, and I, and I realized that I could do Delaware inside my program, but it would cost me $40. Or I could do Delaware on its own, and it would cost me $0. Just a little bit more complicated of a form. So I was like, yeah, I did that form. I submitted it, and like 30 seconds later, realized I entered the wrong, I, I missed $500 worth of income. Okay, now everyone in the room who's done taxes knows that that really doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter. Number one, I don't make enough money for the IRS to care about me. Number two, $500 is really not that important in the grand scheme of taxes. But how I make decisions in my life is not about, you know, well, no one's going to find out. It's not a big deal. Most people wouldn't. Those aren't my compass points. Like, my compass point isn't what you would do or what I can get away with, right? My compass point is God. And what does God call me to do with my money? He calls me to be full of integrity. So I have to refill that stupid form and resubmit it because of God. Not because of any other, not because I'm a good person, not because I'm type A, well, maybe a little bit, but okay. What about others? How do you treat other people? How do you treat your children? How do you treat your friends? How do you treat your spouse? Think about this. I mean, guys, this is why, right? Now, listen, I'm going to say some things today that I, I don't want to offend anyone, but I, I'm, this is a little bit of a harder edge teaching, and just know that I love you, okay? All right, but, you know, there's, there's a higher, there's just as high a rate of divorce in church as there is outside of church. We're aware of that, right? Part of the reason is, I, I believe, that with our culture that we live in, we have a hard time knowing what's our culture and what's God. And so we think sometimes that we should do what our culture is saying to do, which is do what is best for you. Now listen, the Bible gives provisos for divorce, and we are aware of those, and this isn't a teaching on divorce. And if you've been divorced, there's no condemnation, right? Romans 8 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This teaching isn't about beating people up. This is just about challenging us. What's in the middle? Let's say right now, let, let's not think about the past, but right now you're in a marriage and it's hard. 
How do you stay in that marriage if you are the center instead of God? How do you stay in that marriage if what you want, if you need to be happy, if that's your goal, if that's your compass point, how do you stay in that marriage? People are like, man, Christian used to be nice, right? Like you invited a friend today, you're like, I swear he's never like this. Okay. All right. We talked about money. What about, what about when you go through crisis, trauma, pain, disappointment, letdowns in life, sickness, loss? What's your anchor that's holding you? If, if things going your way is the anchor of your faith, your faith is going to get shipwrecked eventually. If, if like feeling good and happy is your, what you point your life towards, right? Which is really, really true about our culture. Our culture's main pursuit is happiness. We want to be happy. How are you happy when you lose someone you love? And your worldview gets destroyed and your, your inside gets destroyed. Do you guys know that the, the suicide rate right now in America is skyrocketing, especially for young people, especially for young girls? And it's because we don't have any anchor. We don't have any compass point for what to do with our pain. There's no, you know, even in the church, there's a very, in my opinion, weak theology of pain. Now, in City Light, I'll be honest, we talk about a theology of pain a lot. You might not know that, but that we do. We talk about that a lot because it's real life. Let's let's do. I mean, we can do a show of hands of who has experienced loss and pain, and we would all raise our hands. God has a lot to say about that, but we have to have a strong enough center on the Bible and what it says about pain, so that we can walk through those dark times. If happiness is our anchor, we're going to be shipwrecked. Okay. So I want to read a verse to you. What do we do about this? How do we decide? How do we decide the compass point for our life? How do we decide what our focus is? Who are we following? Because there's so many things that we could be following. And this is a verse that Paul wrote to the church in Rome. Okay. And we're just going to read three verses today. They're pretty easy. Um, but I think they're one of those things that, that they sound easy, but they're harder to live out. So Romans 12, if you have your Bible, you can open up to it or on your phone or it'll be up here. Romans 12, one to one. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. We're going to pause there before we get into what he's, the prescriptive stuff, okay? Because this is the foundation. Now, listen, I've knocked on a few doors that maybe you feel uncomfortable or maybe you feel, maybe, maybe I even like raised something up from your past. And this is where we always start and where we always end. It's not about, listen, all those things we talked about, this is not about performance. It's not about good Christians and bad Christians. It's not about to, be, to come to church, you have to have your life right. Jesus said, we all, like sheep, have gone astray, each of us to our own way. We are all Kelly, okay? We've all done it. There is no one in this room who is blameless and perfect. So that means no one's allowed to beat themselves up. It's not going to get you anywhere. And that's why this starts with God's mercy. One of my favorite sayings is that we are all at the same level at the foot of the cross. And I just picture every person in the world on their knees before the cross and I've been raised in church. I became a Christian when I was four. And, and there might be some person sitting next to me who, you know, just started exploring their faith in Jesus. Guess what? I'm no better than them. 
Because I'm broken and I need a savior just as much as the next person. We're all at the same level. So it starts with mercy. It starts with God's unfailing love. If you're feeling discouraged, I would challenge you to do a Bible study of the word unfailing or faithfulness. See, God's love never stops pursuing you. So we have to start here. In view of his mercy for you, in view of his forgiveness, in view of the fact that he loved you enough. See, here's the thing. God loved you enough to give his own life for you. And what he's asking is for us to love him enough to give our lives to him. So in view of his mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. What he's saying is, would you give me your physical life? Would you give me what you do with your body? And already this starts to rub us the wrong way. Boy, my body is my own. I can do with my body what I want. But when we, when we put Jesus at the center, then what we do with our body is not our own. We're going to get to why that's important. Not only our bodies, but he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He's saying, give me your body, what you do with your body. Give me your mind, what you think with your mind. And give me your will, what you motivate towards, what you decide. He says, then you'll be able to test and prove what God's will is. The understanding being that you'll drive towards God's will. He's asking for your mind, body, and your will. And listen, this is so powerful. It happens when you do not conform. See, here's the thing. It's like, has everybody seen the Matrix? You know, and he gives her the two pills and you have to pick which pill you want. I feel like every day when we wake up, we have that opportunity. I will, I will pick the pill of this world, conforming to the patterns of this world, or I will pick the pill of the kingdom of God. Be actually easier if you physically had to do that each day because it'd be a nice reminder. But the patterns of this world and the patterns of the kingdom of God, they don't always line up. So God's asking for our bodies, our minds, our will. It reminds me of when Jesus was asked, what's the most important commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your body, your strength. He said, give me everything and I will give you everything. These are the plans that God has for us. This is an Old Testament prophet, but it's one of my favorite verses. He says, the plans that God has for you are plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. See, when you surrender your life to God, you will find the life you've always been looking for. And I'm not saying, like some of you are like, but Christian, I surrendered my life to Jesus 30 years ago. This is a daily thing. This is a moment-by-moment, decision-by-decision thing. We can choose. We can say, I surrendered my life. See, this is part of the problem that Christianity got into, in my opinion, where we were like, let me hand you a a little piece of paper. We called it a track. Let me hand you a track. Pray this prayer. You're in. See ya. See, Jesus wasn't about that. He was saying, let's make followers. Let's make people who will do life together. See, God already changed my life, but I'm looking for him to change my living, to change my day-to-day, how I live it out. I crossed that line from not believing to believing years and years and years ago, but I have so much more to do for Jesus to change my living. Does that make sense? 
the distinction there. But see, this is why he says, you will be able to testify what God's will is because God's will for you is good. You can trust him. And that's what it's all about, right? Like Brandon and Kelly had to fully trust the person on stage. If they thought the person on stage was purposely trying to destroy them, (laughs) to walk them into some dangerous situation, then they should have taken the blindfold off. That's what surrender is about. A surrendered life leads us to true life. I'm passionate about this because this is what it's all about. This is, this is why, just, just to be honest with you, like this is why at, at like 16 years old, I said to the Lord, I'll give you the rest of my life to do whatever it is you call me to do because this message needs to be heard. This is why, you know, when I had opportunity to like go to graduate school and get a job and make a lot of money. And I said, no, because for me, I knew what my job, some people that's your job, but my job was to talk about this. This is what I was made to do. This is why when I had a, a, a job that, I, you know, and I, and I had a future in this one church, but God kicked me out of that church because more people need to hear this. This is, I mean, I hope to die preaching this. This is the core message. Guys, I have sat with Hundreds of people over the last 25 years of my life in multitudes of situations all over the country, and it's always the same. I have these relationship issues. I have these money issues. I have these marriage issues. I have these issues and these issues and these issues, and it's always this. It's always who's at the center. Who are you pointing towards? Who's your compass? And I can see people's lives bleeding into pain because they're pointing their life at the wrong things. There was a lot of me that wanted to not leave the life that I had because I don't like change. And when, when I started to feel like God wanted us to plant this church, if my, if my internal compass wasn't pointed at Jesus, if it was pointed at comfort and security, I would not have ever done it. If it was pointed at what other people think about you, I don't think I would have done it either. And that's my, that's my Achilles heel. In the center of that white circle for me is other people's opinions of me. But I never would have stepped out if it weren't just Jesus. But God, what if we can't find uh, anybody who wants to come to this church? God, what are, what are my friends across the vineyard movement going to think about me if I plant this church and fail? God, what's going to happen when we don't have any money as a family? Like, we have a mortgage. I can't just call them and be like, hey, Jesus wants me to plant a church. Can I not pay for a few years? Right? That's not going to work. I don't want to go into debt. It's embarrassing. It's scary. But see, Jesus rarely calls us to stuff that's safe. And that's why you have to wrestle this to the ground, guys. Teenagers in the room, you have to wrestle this to the ground. Who is going to be your center? Who is going to be your God? Because we all are following someone. That's why Jesus said, those who try to gain their own life will lose it. But if you will lose your life, if you will surrender your life, because here, the thing we're trying so hard to do on our own is going to take us exactly to the place we didn't want to go. It's an illusion. Man, I'm a little fired up. You guys okay? I'm not yelling at you. I'm yelling with you, okay? All right. All right, so I've got, oh, I've got six minutes left. Okay.
These are the two reasons we don't want to do this. We want control and we want autonomy. And I'm going to talk about these very deep philosophical issues in two minutes. Ready? Here we go. So I, I want to be in control. I want control so bad. And I know it's an issue. Like I'm coaching a, a U10 girls rec league team right now. And my first thing that I thought when I saw the roster was, darn it, they gave me an assistant coach. Because I don't want to deal with that guy. I just want to be in charge. Because I'm pretty sure I'm going to do better than him. I know better than him. And, 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 and I was right. So anyway, um, I love to be in control. A couple years ago, um, I got picked up at an, at an airport. I, I travel for the vineyard. And I always want to be the driver because of this. Okay, this was like 15 years ago. I got picked up in this 15-passenger van by this, this, this kid. It's like 21 at best. He's driving this van with me and one of my best friends and a couple other people. We're driving through the Rockies, headed towards Estes Park for these meetings. And he's driving a 15-passenger van. Did I say that? And he's 21. Did I say that? Okay. At 21, you don't know that you can die. You just think the world moves and gets out of your way. So he's like, I need to pass this guy. Gets in the other lane and he floors it, which means nothing happens. And there's a car coming straight at us. I was like, Oh, I, I literally started to close my eyes and grip the seat. He barely made it over in time. He, he like went, went for it. He didn't like look at the card and think, this is a bad idea. I have other people's. I was so angry at him. I was like, this is my friend Jenna sitting next to me. She has children at home. What is your problem? I didn't say that. I really probably should have. I love to be in control. We love to be in control. But guess what? Control is an illusion. You are not in control. Tell me, tell me what you can control. Think, just think about it. You can't control that you're going to keep your job no matter how hard you work. You can't control that your spouse is not going to cheat on you now, no matter how much you love them. I mean, I'm just being real. Oh, not my spouse. Well, you know, you're not that great. So I've met you all. Oh. You can't control that you're not just, uh, we're just getting super real. You can't control that you're not going to wake up tomorrow with some horrible illness. And moreover, you can't control what happens after you die. This control we think we are holding on to so tightly, but God, but God, I can't, it's my body, it's my future, it's my will. You have no idea what you're doing. And we hold so tightly to it, like that idiot driving that car. And he needed to surrender to my foot in his face, all right? It's an illusion, and autonomy. Autonomy is I want to be the, I want to have the freedom. We call it freedom, and we're imprisoned. I want to have the freedom to choose what's right and wrong for my life. This is the, this is the, this is the God of our culture right now. I get to choose. You don't tell me what to choose. As long as I don't hurt other people with my choices, that's our proviso. But if you really think about this, autonomy is a lie. Control is an illusion. Autonomy is a lie. You can't have the autonomy that we say that we want and continue to live in society. This whole idea of the self being valuable, can I just give you a, like, oh, uh, just a real, real quick, real quick philosophical lesson, okay? Listen, before Christianity, the Judeo-Christian faith came on the scene, the self was not important. It was all about the community, it was the realization of, of the Judeo-Christian faith saying that man and woman are created in the image of God where the self finally became valuable. 
But what has happened in secular, modern, postmodern, late modern society, whatever terms you want to use, is we've said, yes, the self is value, but we've cut the roots off. And it's no longer rooted in a God above all who says you are valuable. We're just intrinsically valuable. Same with morality. My morality doesn't come from God. It just is what I think is best. But you know where that runs into a problem? Is when you and I disagree about what's best. And then, you know who wins? The one who has the most power. Just push this a little bit further. Think about this. We would all agree in this room that men and women are created equal and should be taken care of equally. But there are cultures all over the world who don't agree with that. If we don't, have, if we don't think that's tied to a higher power, who are we to tell them that they're wrong? I mean, you could just go down that rabbit hole for a long time. But the whole autonomy, I know I've got, I can see like three or four faces where they're like, no, I'm emailing him. No, there's no, that is a coffee. Send. I see you. I got you. Let's go. Coffee on me this week. All right. The, oh, this is one of my, one of my, it's just a great, it's just a great thinker, Timothy Keller. The only way to get from moral feelings to moral, I was typing on a computer. Obviously, don't make fun of me front row. All right. The only way to get from moral feelings, this is what I like, this is what I think is right, to moral obligation, we're all called to this standard, is to appeal to some moral source, God, or norm of right and wrong outside of both cultures or individuals that validates, invalidates, or revises their competing internal moral feelings. I can say with 100% certainty that men and women are equal and should be treated equally, not because I think so or because you think so or because culture happens to think that right now, because culture changes and my feelings change depending on what I'm eating, right? I can say it because the God of the universe said it in the very beginning of Genesis, And he said, I created them man and female in my image. And that's how I can stake my claim. And that's why people, earlier followers of Jesus, when said, hey, denounce Jesus or I'll kill you, were able to say, I can't because my life is centered on Jesus. I know for a fact. I know that I know that I know. It's amazing that Dean shared that, that Bible verse. We didn't talk beforehand, but that's exactly, that's exactly what we're talking about. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were faced with the God of their culture or the God of the scripture. And they said, well, if we die, we die because we can't say no to this. We've rooted, anchored, compassed, centered our lives on Jesus. And you have to do it daily because a surrendered life is going to lead you to true life. Worship team, come up. The life you're looking for the happiness you think you want, the freedom that you long for, the healing that your heart needs, the destiny and the purpose that you feel deep in your bones, you have one. They're all found when you give up. They're all found when you surrender and you say, not my will. This is like the most pinnacle prayer of Jesus's life. When he's, I talked about this in the first week of this series, and I'm purposely saying it again. Death to selfie. When he's in the garden before he died on the cross, and he said, God the Father, take this cup from me. I don't want to die on the cross. And then he said, but not my will. And he surrendered. The God of the universe in bodily form surrendered because there was a higher calling. Not my feelings, not my desire, not my fear of pain, not my fear of ridicule, not the humiliation I'm going to face. Your will be done. And he put Jesus squarely in the center of the circle. That is so cheesy. Really, it's the best I could do though. 
But this is what we're looking for, guys. What do I do with my money? Let me see what Jesus does. How do I deal with my pain? It's going to be through the lens of faith in Jesus. How do I make decisions? Because, guys, you know why culture doesn't work in the middle? It's because culture is shifting. I mean, you could just travel the world, and you would have different decisions about all these things. You're not good in the center because you don't know everything. Can you imagine... Those of you who are 40 or older, can you imagine if you had let 18-year-old you make decisions for you right now? Not a chance, right? Because we change and grow and mature. Do you know what's not changing? The word of God. Jesus said that all these things will pass away, but my word will never pass away. That's why Jesus said, I'm I'm, going to stop, I promise. I'm off my notes now. Jesus said, he, he, was, he was talking about this huge sermon. And he said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and yet you don't do what I say? It's literally word for word what he said. I love that. I read that this week and I was like, right? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? And then he told the little parable of the guy who builds his house on a rock or on the sand. And he said, look, life's going to hit you in the butt and it's going to hurt. So you better be built on the rock instead of the sand of myself or what other people think of me or fame or glory or money. Like teenagers, you're thinking about what you want to do with your life. What is your number one goal with what you want to do with your life? Is it to get money? Because that's never going to satisfy the longing in your heart. It's got to be, who is God calling me to be? If you're in a hard relationship, it's not, a, it's not necessarily a get me out of pain. My mom had a chronic illness that eventually led to her being in a wheelchair and being totally dependent on my dad. And he quit his job, came home, and became a caretaker. He didn't sign up for that. He never went to nursing school. He he was an executive at DuPont, and he laid down his life to love like Jesus calls us to love for, for 10 years. You don't do that if you're at the center of your life. Jesus calls us, but he's going to satisfy us like you would never be satisfied. I can guarantee that. If you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, today's the day that you can make that choice because it's the best life. It's the best life. It's not an easy life. It's not pain-free. Can we stand together? Listen, I don't take lightly that you could choose to go to any other church today or stay home. And I, I, seriously, it's an honor that you let me yell at you for 30 minutes today. I really appreciate that. Thank you. If anyone is wrestling with this and you want to talk to me, I would love to fill up my week this week with meetings to talk about this. Please reach out to me. All right. Um, I feel like we need to have this last song, even though technically it's 11.15. So we're going to go five minutes over, but we needed just a little bit of time to to just decompress. So we're going to sing a song and then we'll close. We're going to have some people over here that would love to pray for you. If you're wrestling with how to make Jesus the center of any part of your life, you know, maybe you've got him there for 60%, but there's this one area that you just can't get him there. Go get prayer. If you're in pain or sick today, go get prayer. We'd love to pray for you. God, we thank you that we started the conversation saying that it's all begins with your mercy. We thank you that no matter where we are in life right now, what we have in our past, God, that you accept us right now as we are, love us unconditionally. 
we thank you for that. We thank you that every person is welcome in this room just as we are. And God, I pray for all of us as we journey towards this. This this isn't like a magic, you know, it's a little bit different than the matrix, God. It's not a magic pill. It's a journey that each of us is on. But I pray that this week we will begin to lean into the surrendered life. Just taking one step at a time, a little bit more. How can I surrender my thoughts? How can I surrender my actions? How can I surrender my will to you, God? Mind, body, and will to you, God. If you don't mind, just keep your eyes closed for a second. If there's anyone here today who has never said, yes, I want to surrender my life to you, Jesus, and I want to be a follower of Jesus, and maybe you've been on the edges of church and faith and you've seen other people do it, but you've never made that choice for yourself. We always give a chance for this. If you just want to raise your hand, we're not going to make you do anything crazy. I just want to give you an opportunity to raise your hand, and I'm going to pray with you. If you raised your hand, just pray this prayer. You don't have to pray it out loud. Jesus, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you accept me right now where I am. Thank you that you forgive me and that salvation is a free gift I can't earn. I receive your leadership in my life. Amen.